0: Today, we celebrate a moment that changed everything. Victory over death, hell, and the grave. To sum up the resurrection story so that we can get into tonight's text, I want to just give a quick overview of it. That man was created for a place, and that place was called earth. Some of you thought I was about to say heaven. But if man was created for heaven, why go through Genesis and the creation story? We weren't created for heaven. We were created for earth, which was supposed to be a heaven-on-earth reality, a heaven-on-earth experience, a earth that was completely unified in its purpose to look like heaven, to operate like God's kingdom. The difference in the place we were created for and the place we're living now comes down to one thing. We were separated from walking in complete unity with God because we chose to listen to whispers of the enemy. Eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where we were never supposed to know good, we were never supposed to know evil, we were just supposed to know him. And I've said it the past few weeks, but I'm going to say it again. Well, why is it that we were never supposed to know good? Because just because it's a good thing doesn't make it a God thing. A lot of people choose things that are seemingly great but have nothing to do with your path, your plan, or your purpose. We're not supposed to know evil. We're not supposed to know good. We're just supposed to know Him. So whatever He says, we say yes to. But a just God, when He creates man, He also creates man with the ability to choose His own path. Is there such thing as predestination? Absolutely. We were predestined. For paths, We were predestined for purpose. But a just God gives predestined people a free will. And free will says, I'll say yes to the steps or I'll choose my own. And a redeeming God says, when you choose your own, I will always give you a way back so that I can make all paths work together for the good of those who seek me. When we were separated, just as a just God gave man right to choose a path that goes the wrong way, the love of the Father exercises his right to offer a path of redemption, to redeem what was lost. So to do that, the Father said, I'm going to send my word that has always existed, but I'm going to send it in the form of man. I'm going to send it in the form of flesh so that man could see how flesh was always supposed to operate. A man came that had wisdom beyond his years, teaching in temples at 12 years old. I'm just going to speak into that for a second. I think the church needs to wake up that we don't need to wait for 18-year-olds to go to seminary. We need to get six-year-olds in the pulpit. Because those kids have more faith than most of us adults. But we need to value them as sons and daughters and not just children. Jesus was 12 years old and had the attention of all the, the, the priests in the temple. And they were like, where does this knowledge come from? A man that was completely led by the Holy Spirit in all things. A man that had authority over sickness and disease and the winds and the waves. A man where anything that came out of his mouth, the earth responded to the words. A man that could raise dead men from the grave. And if that wasn't enough, a man that showed the ability that even though he was put to death, death could not even hold him. And he was in such authority over every power and principality that three days after death, he rose from the grave. That man is Jesus. And he gave his blood as the final price for us to access a place of right standing to be just as present with God as first Adam was in the garden. He didn't just buy your right for heaven. He gave you access to authority that was lost in the garden. The right to operate in your true form, your beloved identity as God's creation. And this second or last Adam... If he purchased this right, Jesus we're talking about, if he purchased this right to be just as present with God as we were in the garden, I say it's time that we embrace that reality and come home to the presence of God, no longer waiting on heaven, but to walk in heavenly realms right now. I want to start tonight in John 16, where Jesus is preparing the disciples In a few hours, he was about to be arrested, betrayed, and he was going to have to leave him. And Jesus starts this conversation with the disciples, saying, in a few hours, he was going to be arrested. He was telling them, I'm going to have to leave you. In fact, he actually says, in a little while, you won't see me. Scripture shouldn't be up there right now, so y'all pay attention to me. (laughs) Jesus tells them, in a little while, you won't see me. And then after a little while, you will. So when they were hearing that, they were confused. They were like, well, what what, do you mean that we ain't going to see you, and then we're going to see you, and then we ain't going to see you, and we're going to see you. What are you talking about? They didn't understand. So he began to explain. He told them, you're going to mourn when the world rejoices. In other words, when they rejoice over the fact that they crucified me, you're going to mourn for a while. But he says, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So they were in this conversation of trying to understand what is Yeshua talking about. And finally, Jesus says this in verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly. (laughs) Isn't that something for the disciples? Thanks, Jesus, you finally make sense. Without figures of speech. You've been talking in prodigals all these years. Now you're talking. Verse 30. Now we can see that you know all things. This is just funny to me. Now we can see that you know everything you're talking about. <laughs> and that you don't even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. It's kind of crazy. Three years after walking with Jesus, seeing the disease heal, seeing winds and waves stop, seeing a man named Lazarus raised from the grave, they're saying... We finally get it. But it wasn't just that they were understanding he was Messiah. Because the entire time, that's exactly what they were calling him. It wasn't they were having a revelation that he was Messiah. What they were starting to see is that it wasn't just that he was the one that came to save. What they were starting to see is that he came from somewhere and didn't just start in a fleshly form as a baby. They're starting to see, oh, you didn't just come and you're saving us. You existed far before you were in this form called flesh. You came from the Father, and now you're going back. They started to understand Jesus actually existed before he was born. It's important to understand this because restoration is not just about saving you from hell. Because the fact of the matter is hell was never created for you. And yet that's become the biggest evangelical card we play is scaring people out of hell. We shouldn't scare people out of hell. We should start to introduce them to where they truly belong. It's not about saving from hell. Salvation and restoration is more about introducing you to where you came from and where you belong right now. God told Jeremiah that he knew Jeremiah before he was ever in the womb. Now before I go here, I want to clear up because I see some confusing faces. Will people still go to hell? Absolutely. We reject him, we go there. But he is not so concerned with that. He just simply wants to show you what could be. He wants to show you truth. So God told Jeremiah something very similar. He told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were ever in your mother's womb. Because just as Jesus came from a place, you come from a place. Let me say that again. Just as Jesus came from a place, you came from a place. I'm going to read Jeremiah 1, 4 through 6. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is what we never read. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, this is Jeremiah talking. I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Why was it improper for Jeremiah to respond like this? Because Jeremiah was referring to a man of the earth instead of the true form of him as a man from heaven. So he didn't embrace God saying, I knew who you were and I'm calling you. He said, But I don't know that version. All I know is the version that can't do anything. God says, I'm not speaking to that version. I'm speaking to the Jeremiah that I knew before you came into a world that corrupted your thinking. I'm speaking to a Jeremiah I knew before you were born into an iniquity or a bent. The scripture says that Jesus was bruised for our, or beaten for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He was beaten on the outside for something called a transgression. A transgression is something we do but it comes from something within. When you are bruised, for, when he was bruised for iniquity, he said, not only did I take beating for what transgressions you did, but I was bruised and I, and I, was, I was bruised from within. The blood came to the surface because I took beating and I took chastisement for the stuff that's inside of you that caused the transgression. And that thing was called an iniquity. And what an iniquity is, it means a bent towards something. So when you're born into this world, we are all born into iniquity. We're born with a bent toward doing something that is not of God. People are born with a bent. Like you had this desire for a sin that you were never introduced for, but you had this desire for it. I'll be bold on this resurrection weekend. This country is full of people who are confused. Some of them were born with that bent. So don't throw stones at them for their confusion when they don't realize they're agreeing with a bent. They don't know. It reminds me of the words that Jesus says when he was being crucified. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We're born with a bent. And what Jesus came to do was show us this is how you are supposed to look this is the image that you were created for. It's without bent. It's without transgressions. This is who I'm trying to show you. The reason that Jesus was without transgression and without a bent, because he was without sin. He came into the world by, by, by the Holy Spirit through his mother Mary to show this is what it looks like when you are no longer held back by the curses of this generations, by the curses of sin. This is what it looks like when you are in true form. The apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 45, the scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Everyone say spirit. Spirit. What comes first is the natural body. And then the spiritual body comes later. First is the natural. Second is the spiritual. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth. While Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man. And heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. In early transcripts before Bible scholars messed up the translations, can I push there a second? It's not that the, it, this is not that it's the inerrant word of God. The inerrant word of God is Jesus. Amen. You want true meaning of this? You got to dig to what it really was before the governments tried to change it to make you think you've got no power. That's a whole other message. <laughs> the original transcripts do not say we will someday be like heavenly man. Original transcript says, just as we are now like the earthly man, let us be like heavenly man. In other words, you do not become heavenly man once you die and go to heaven. You are in a process called sanctification. I have taught this that, Jesus said, that, we are, that the scripture says we have been sanctified. So the process of sanctification is not becoming sanctified. It's walking into true you, believing that it's done. If we still had to be sanctified, then that takes away from the truth that Jesus says it is finished. The process of sanctification is not becoming sanctified. It's believing that you're sanctified, which brings you out of your earthly man into heavenly. That's why it was so easy for Saul to walk into a true heavenly man named Paul. Paul went to the, the church and said, hey, I, I didn't, I've never done anything wrong to you. When years before, this was the same man that probably killed half their family. But when he came to them, he said, I ain't done nothing. You know why? Because true you in heavenly form, God, the Father says, I will remember your sins no more. Saul killed those people. Paul didn't. You need to hear tonight. If you have believed in Jesus, you didn't do those things. Earthly you may have, but heavenly you did not. And when you start to embrace heavenly you, you'll stop holding yourself back because you're more familiar with earthly man. The problem in the church is we think someday we'll get to heaven and we'll become that. Instead of understanding that access was granted to be just as like heavenly man as you are earthly man. The moment Jesus paid the debt and rose... There is an earthly man. There is heavenly man. That is spiritual warfare. Yes. Because the fact of the matter is the enemy has been defeated. Yep. Amen. The enemy has been defeated. Yes. Satan lost. Your warfare is a war between the mind to believe a lie of a defeated enemy or the truth of redeemed identity. Amen. What we need to understand is before sin... Earthly was heavenly. It was in perfect union. The Garden of Eden. It was a perfect heaven on earth reality. That's where we came from. Think think about when God formed man. Put up Genesis 2-7. It says the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living person. The word breath is the Hebrew ruach, which is the same as the word for spirit. So the spirit of man that existed in the Father was breathed into dust. You are not the dust. You were what was breathed into the dust. So stop telling your dust what your des- Stop letting your dust tell you what your desires are. When you're listening to flesh, you're listening to lifeless. It cannot have life without... The spirit of man that existed in God was put into dust. They're spiritual and natural, heavenly and earthly. Sin separated us from God. We hid. We accepted an identity of not worthy. We went against the word of God. And in a moment, the thing that was living in the home of heaven, heaven on earth, was separated. But Jesus resurrected that dead thing. What is that dead thing? Separation. He said, you know, we were in such separation that God had to give people plans for a temple that had gates and a courtyard and a holy place and the most holy place, and no one could get in the most holy place. Only one man, once a year, the high priest, on behalf of the people. And when you, you went in the gates, you had to enter in with praise and thanksgiving, and you had to wash your hands, and you get sacrifices, and it smelled, and there were all kinds of stuff. God says, You can't get to me. So what did Jesus die for? He says, I'm tired of being separated. I'm coming and the veil that separates me from you is torn and we can now be in perfect union. So stop listening to the separated earthly man and embrace united heavenly man. Repentance. Changing your thinking to a line. With never listening to the dust, but listening to the spirit that you are now united with. Jesus resurrected a dead thing. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 15, through 50, 50, 57. Oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. The law gives sin its power. Sin don't even have power. The law gave it its power. Where did the law come from? God. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that God said my law is not good. It's that God said I need to fulfill my law to break this thing called separation. So the law says something's got to be sacrificed. Something's got to be given. Blood has to be shed. And God says, well, I said it, so I'm going to honor it. So here's the perfect lamb." Here's your sacrifice. And you no longer have to do anything else to get in my presence. I'm killing separation. Verse 37 through 44 of the same chapter, it says, When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. Listen to this. But just a seed, perhaps, of wheat or of something else. But very, very, very simple. You don't sow an orange seed hoping for apples. Right, and you don't sow an apple seed and hope tomorrow you get a tree full of fruit. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. Fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, And there are earthly bodies. It's amazing how you read the scripture when you start unpacking it, isn't it? But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and the stars differ from stars in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Talking about the body now. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown as a natural body, but it is raised as a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Simply put, when you sow natural, what's raised up is spiritual. The body of the man Jesus in its natural state was sown into the ground. But what was raised up from the ground was not another natural. It was spiritual. That's why Jesus raised from the dead. He was in a natural body that Thomas could touch the scars in his flesh. But the natural was raised as a spiritual and that it was no longer bound by any law. Including the law of physics. That's why he could appear and reappear. That's why he showed up behind locked doors. A body was sown. A different body was raised. You may have heard it like this. Crucify your flesh. Die to yourself. Because the more you die to your natural, what produces is, is spiritual. I wasn't going to do it because I talk about it all the time. I'm going to do it anyways. Colleen, easy example. For those who don't know, last resurrection weekend, she was in a wheelchair up until about 430 30. And she left the wheelchair at the altar that night. What happened is that in a moment, weeks before, she sowed natural, I won't forgive the man who paralyzed me when he hit my car. When she crucified that natural, a spiritual was revived. And what happens in spiritual body, it says, wait a minute. I'm no longer bound by the law that says a crushed spinal cord makes me sit down. And in a moment, she received a spiritual identity saying, wait a minute, old Colleen, before I crucify that unforgiveness, couldn't walk. But I can. And she stood up. When you crucify The flesh, when you start to die to the things that are of the natural, a spiritual raises up that gives you the ability to walk into things you thought were never possible. See, it's not just salvation. It's salvation makes you so right that you are actually no longer governed by the things that says you can't. Galatians 5, 24 to 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and they have crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. How do you live a life led by the Spirit? How do you walk as a spiritual man? Crucify your flesh. Yes. Die to your natural. You see, the church has taught, die to your natural So that you can get your sin right. No. Sin has separated you from your true spiritual self. The reason you die to your flesh is not to manage your sin. The reason you die to your flesh is so you can walk into a spiritual resurrection where sin does not stand a chance. Where the chains of sin and death and hell and the grave cannot bind you. And Jesus is the first of many when he sowed his flesh for that spiritual resurrection. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. That means he is the first example of what you could be if you crucify your flesh. When he did it, he was the first that gave access to rest. His resurrection is our resurrection. His victory over death means this. Death once sealed you in a tomb called hell, but now death is simply a means of becoming. Before he defeated death, hell, and the grave, when the flesh man died, you went to hell. When he defeated the chains of death, hell, and the grave, death is now a process for your resurrection. Because he was sown as first of a great harvest. Death now bows to a law of sowing and reaping for your good. Is this too. Okay. We die so that we may live now as heavenly people. Going back to John 16, you know, remember when they said, Oh, yeah, we get it now. Now you're talking plainly, Jesus. It, It says this in verse 31 Jesus replies to him, Do you now believe? Well, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. And yet, I am not alone for my fathers with me. I have told you these things, so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Look at what he says. He doesn't just say, you'll leave me alone. He says you're going to leave me and you're going to go to your own homes. He says you're going to leave me and you're going to go to all, scatter all to your own homes. In a moment, even though they said they believed, when he was arrested, they were retreated to the safety of what was familiar. The homes that they created which they were called to leave and follow him was the first place they went to when they felt like all hope was lost. Even though they said they got it, they hadn't really gotten it yet. What was he trying to teach them? I'm your home. Yes. But oftentimes, we retreat to the homes we create rather than run to the Father himself. He calls you to this new thing or he moves you to walk into this certain dimension. And a lot of times we retreat to what's familiar, like Jeremiah tried to. I can't talk. You know what Jeremiah did right there? He retreated to a home. Moses, trying to call him to preach to many. Same excuse. I can't preach. I've got to stutter. You know what Moses did in that moment? He went to his own home. Many of us in this room, God has called you to do something. And what we retreat to is, but I'm not a minister. Let me tell you something. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you became a minister. Stop thinking of ministry as a license that the world has perverted. You are called to minister to some degree. And minister and ministry does not mean come get to work for a church. You are the church working. So don't retreat to your home when he says, I've got this thing for you. Because he says, I'm your home. Come and follow me. Even when it gets tough, even when there's a moment like the disciples getting ar- or watching Jesus get arrested, when it gets tough, Jesus says, you stay right here with me. Don't leave. Don't retreat. Go, don't go back to what's familiar. I am calling you out of that earthly posture into a heavenly. Why? Why? He came from the Father, meaning that he knew them in the place where he came from. What did the Father tell Jeremiah? I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. So if Jesus existed with him just as we were, we were in communion before we came into the earth. Which is why Jesus gets to call you out of your natural because he knows true you. Because he had communion with you. And the moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he says, now I'm going to have a new communion with you. And I'm going to do a symbol called bread and wine. But it's actually a restoration of original communion. (laughs) Listen, listen. You had communion with Jesus in heaven before the world began. So when he says that's not who you are, believe it. Because he sat at a table with a heavenly version of you and he came and died and restored earthly version to get you back to what he knew that looked nothing like what you came as. so so good. He says, I'm buying the right for you to come back home. In the very next chapter, after Jesus has this conversation with the disciples, he's praying the moment before he arrested. Look at what he prays in John 17, verse 6. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. You know what he just said? Father, these people of this world were always yours. They were always the heavenly people. All I have is from you, and i passed on the message you gave me. What message? Watch this in verse 20. That's what we are in today, the joy of him coming as the resurrection. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Let's pause there for a second. Jesus, would you? He says, you don't have to go through me because you are now represented in me. Verse 24, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Now, ask and you'll receive and your your joy will be complete. Though I have been figuratively speaking, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I'll tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you'll ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, no, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. What is the message? He says, when I come back, I'm defeating death. When I come back, I'm defeating separation. All those who believe come to the Father in my name. You no longer have to come through me because now when the father looks at you, he sees the heavenly version of you before you were separated. So when you ask the father of something, you're asking in the name without having to say in the name because you're represented in the name. It's not I pray and I hope Jesus hears me to talk to the father. You get direct access. That's pushing some boundaries in here and I love it. In Jesus' name I pray. You're already praying in Jesus' name. Now I'm not saying stop saying that if that's what you want to say because it's a natural flow. I'm not coming against that maybe. What I am trying to get you to understand is you do not have to go through religious rhetoric to be represented rightly. When you're driving in the car... And you say, I need some peace. That is asking in Jesus' name. Because you're no longer separated. You get to ask because the Father loves you. And you believe in the one he sent to restore you to heavenly identity. So your language is no longer heard from your earth man. Your language is heard from your spiritual man. So when you have a family member or a friend or even yourself diagnosed with disease, you don't have to say, in the name of Jesus, I declare healing. You just simply, I speak healing. Because you speak it in the name of who you're represented in. Amen. Why am I telling you this? Because when you start to understand who you're represented in, you'll actually start to believe the things you're asking for and praying for. We have no reason to retreat to the homes that we've created, the naturals that we've created, before our spiritual bodies were revealed to us. But we continually try to go back to these dead places looking for life. Let me read a passage in Luke 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But when they didn't find, but, I'm sorry, they, so they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, babbled their faces to the ground. Let me pause right there. That's the correct response when you see a real angel. Then, can I? No, yeah, can, I'm a, I talked about this last week about how angels are not little babies with harps and wings. They're like four wings and lightning in their faces. You know something I I realized this week about the four wings? You know why they got so many wings? Because in the presence of God, even angels have to cover up their eyes from seeing them. I'm just going to give you that. Uh, Verse 4. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead? Or someone who is alive. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? The son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And he would rise again on the third day. They went to the tomb expecting to finish the burial. Preparing the body. Because when he died, they had to get it in a tomb quickly. They had to finish the whole process before sundown because Sabbath had started. Jewish custom, you know, don't offend the religious people. (laughs) So they went expecting to finish it up. When they went there, he wasn't there. And I want to throw out a little nugget because this is something that this may not be realization to you, but it certainly was to me. The stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away because angels serve people and people needed to see an empty tomb. Wow. <laughs> you think you think a man defeating death hell and the Gray needed a rock to move? <laughs> because he was no longer bound by the stone in an earthly form. Cuz what resurrected was not a flesh in earthly form, it was flesh in spiritual. <laughs> let, me read, let me read this in Luke. Chapter, this isn't up there. Luke 23. I'm going to read verses 44 through 46. Now, before I read this, this is, Luke writes a different perspective on how Jesus died on the cross. Most gospels say that Jesus took his last breath and then there was lightning and then the veil torn. Luke had a different account. Luke, Luke said it happened before he took his last breath. That's not what I want you to pay attention to. We can talk about it at dinner tonight if you want. I'll probably be half asleep, but if you want to come talk, we can talk. But Luke 23, starting in verse 44, it says this. By this time, it was about noon. Darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Some versions say, I commit my spirit, I commend my spirit. And with those words, he breathed his last breath. Here's what I want you to realize. Jesus was in full authority. He spoke to winds and waves. They said yes. He took Lazarus out of a tomb by simply saying, come out. He healed And did crazy things no one understood. When he was on that cross, he was not waiting for his body to finally give out. He kept suffering by choice until it was finished. And his dust gave when he said, I'm giving you my spirit. Remember, we were made from the dust of the ground, a flesh form. And God breathed his, the spirit into us. We were breathed into this. His flesh did not die on the cross until he said, it's finished, I'm giving you my spirit. And when he committed his spirit, Then his flesh gave out. It paints a whole different picture on the suffering because it wasn't, when is my body going to give up? It's, I will suffer and continue to suffer and continue to suffer and continue to suffer suffer because I love the ones that I had communion with. And I will not commit my spirit, no matter how much it hurts, until my father tells me it's done. And when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the very next thing he said, it's finished. You ever wonder why did he look at God and say, why have you forsaken me? It was answered. Why have you forsaken me? Why is this taking so long? This is in so much pain. I'm going for these people. And in a moment, he heard the whisper from his father, and he said what his father told him. It's finished. And when it got finished, Jesus says, Into your hands. I commit my spirit. He he chose to suffer through it until the price was paid. You know, the, the word for it is finished was a legal term talking about debt. He chose to stay up there until it was done. And when he resurrected... He resurrected in a spiritual form that was no longer bound according to earthly flesh that came from Mary. Mm. A stone couldn't hold him back. A crucifixion wasn't the deciding factor. Disease doesn't have to conquer you. Your past does not have to conquer you. Your fear does not have to conquer you. Limits do not have to conquer you. You are... Y'all know something? I don't want me to say this. You are now resurrected as a spiritual body in Christ. Which means your body is no longer bound to a law saying that if your body gets infected the infection rules. No, 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 no. Because you speak to the infection in the name right. as a resurrected body that says, I am victorious. Yes. Yes. Believers who have died because of disease, they were simply sown yes. as a natural for a resurrection into spiritual. Yes. Even they didn't get taken out. So don't go looking for identity in dead places. Don't go looking for identity in the past. Don't go looking for yourself in what people have called you and what people have put limits on you with. No, no, no. You're no longer defined by what they all said you couldn't do. You're no longer defined by what they said your, your body could or could not do. You're the, you know what? Don't let people say that you don't have the intellectual capacity because you are no longer bound by your intellectual capacity. Because in Him, you gain access back to the place where you came from. And you get to live it out on the earth as it is in heaven. You didn't come from a bad place. You didn't come, let me say, you did not come from an abusive home. You did not come from a bad environment. You came from heaven. And the free will choices of many may have caused you to be in an environment, but that is not where you came from. Yes. So don't find identity in earthly man bound by that environment. Find out who you are in a resurrected spiritual man that came yes. from heaven. Yes. Amen. John twenty nineteen. That Sunday, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly... Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them. Sound familiar? Just like the Father breathed in us, he breathed on them and said, receive Holy Spirit. They didn't receive Holy Spirit in the upper room. They got it right there. And their representation calls an outpouring on the rest when they gather together. That is why when two or more of you gather together in my name. <laughs> Woo! That was weird. <laughs> Verse 23. If you, listen, he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and if you forgive anyone's sins... They're forgiven. Want to know why they could do that? Because they were no longer bound by their earthly form. The moment he was was resurrected, they were resurrected. And they were so right with God that he says, you go forgive them. Because when you forgive them, you represent them and you forgive them in my name. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Do you realize what harm your bitterness can do to your friend? Do you realize how much harm your unforgiveness can do to you? Stop agreeing with earthly man. Start embracing your heavenly identity as a heavenly people. He breathed on them as the Father breathed in them in the garden, and they received the Holy Spirit, because in his resurrection they went from earth to spiritual. And notice, just like they went and hid in their homes, leaving him alone, here they were again, hiding behind locked doors. And again, Jesus was calling them out of those homes, out of safety nets, back to the home in the Father, a place where true peace was offered. Funny, because God was calling them to a new dwelling place called home, and they kept going back. Understanding that makes total sense as to why in Acts 2, when they finally got it, the first thing they did was sold their property and possessions. Because they said, we we ain't going back to the safety nets we created. We're all in. Their first response was, I'm no longer defined by what I gain in this world. I am am pressing into a higher calling. And tonight, I want to remind you what that higher calling is, and this is what I'm closing with. Matthew 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy. Can can I just really say what that is? Cure those with leprosy, COVID, cancer. Cure, Cure those with disease. Cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Why? He had all the authority in earth, and he came from heaven. He was resurrected as heavenly man in a, spiritual, in, in a natural form. So he's got authority all over the place. And he says, therefore, in other words, because I've got authority, I'm putting it on you. This is what commissioning is not, oh, we get to share that Jesus said this. Commissioning is go walk in my name. Show them who I am. That's what's going to save them. Introduce them to who they are. They're not supposed to be sick. They're not supposed to be down. They're not supposed to have identity issues. They're not supposed to wrestle with depression. They're not supposed to do any of this. Show them who I am. I'm commissioning you with the same authority that I pulled you out of. I'm putting it on you. Go make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. You know what the commands were? He wasn't talking about the Ten Commandments. He says, love each other as much as I loved you. Serve, the, 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 be, become the least. Give up your seat at the table if you have to. Love people. He says, do all the things that I've commanded. Be sure of this, I'm with you. Always. Yeah. Even to the end of the age, The moment that people believe that we can no longer walk in these things means you just enter into an age where he does not exist. He says, I'm with you forever. You want to know why we don't need spiritual gifts in order to heal and cast out demons and all those things when we get get into fully resurrected body when Jesus comes back and restores all mankind? You want to know why? Because everyone will be in a spiritual state where we no longer need any sort of healing. But right now, we are in the process of being restored. And what the world is waiting on is not just the message that Jesus died so that you would be saved. But Jesus died so that you would be saved. And in that salvation, there is a true identity restored as heavenly. And you no longer have to be bound to what the world says. You no longer have to be bound according to what your circumstances told you who you were. You are no longer bound by anything of this world. You are now restored to who you were before you ever got here. A heavenly people. This resurrection weekend, I want us to leave here with this simple reminder. That he has had plans and destiny for you long before you entered into a bent. You know what restoration is in Jesus? You know what dying to yourself, being baptized in the grave and the waters and resurrected to life is all about? You know what that really is? He says, I'm getting you to be reborn into a no-bent reality. So the moment that you're saved, you no longer have the excuse of this is what I'm bent toward. It's realign your thinking that you're no longer bent. Repentance is not I'm sorry for what I did. Repentance is I'm going to renew the way I think. And the fruit of that renewal is walking away from those things because I'm no longer bent. I am Straight and righteous in the eyes of God and the only the only place I need to walk is when he says go I, I, I don't have to veer off any path. I'm going right for him That's what restoration does for you so that when you accept true identity as heavenly man It's not that it's not I want to but I can't It's if you want to that's all you need You can you're restored You carry an authority that magicians only wish they had. You carry an authority that witches try to worship. What? what why is he going there? What? what why, why is he going, what, what, why am I talking about witches and sorcery and all that? Because it's perverted forms of true things. And there's got to be a day when the believers of Jesus start to say, you know what? I'm no longer walking on this earth as someone who needs to be saved. I'm going to walk on this earth as a heavenly man, a heavenly woman, and I'm going to walk in the authority of the one I am represented in. And if I am represented in Jesus, when I walk into a room, nothing stands a chance of staying. Sickness doesn't stand a chance. My past is not, whenever you're walking forward and your past starts to whisper, It doesn't stand a chance because earthly man, you no longer hear with earthly man ears. You hear with heavenly man ears that you are good. You're righteous. You're not forsaken. You're redeemed. You're wonderful. You're a bride that he goes after. He loves you. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You're spotless. He doesn't remember the sins because he sees spiritual you. As we leave here tonight, Believing in the resurrection of Christ, simply realize this. He was resurrected, and so were you. Amen. Let's stand.